Amen. Check this out. One day, this farmer, this farmer guy, he got pulled over by a state trooper for speeding. Uh-oh. Okay. And uh, so, but the trooper, he started to lecture the farmer about his speed, right? And that was bad enough. But man, he started going over the top. And he began to throw his weight around as the state trooper. And he, he began to make the farmer feel really uncomfortable, extra uncomfortable for what he did. Well, finally, the trooper let that off, and he started getting around to writing the ticket. And he's, uh, as he was doing this, though, he's writing the ticket there. He, he's swatting at these flies. They kept buzzing around his head. He just kept swatting at him, right? And so the farmer, he notices all this, and he goes, Hey, uh, having some problem with those circle flies, are you there? And the trooper, he stopped writing the ticket. He says, Well, yeah, that's what they are. I've never heard of circle flies. So the farmer, he says, Well, you see, circle flies, they're common on farms. You see, they're called circle flies because they're almost always found circling around the back end of a horse. <laughs> Trooper goes back to writing the ticket, but then it kicks in, and he goes, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait a second, buddy. Are you trying to call me a name? And the farmer says, oh, no, 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 officer. I've got way too much respect for law enforcement and police officers to even think of calling you the back end of a horse. So the trooper, he goes back to writing the ticket. He says, well, that's a good thing, right? Well, th just then there was a long pause, and the farmer says, hard to fool them flies, though. <laughs> Give it up for Orson. Woo, Orson, you thought you what a rebel. I tell you what. No, nah, that wasn't Orson. I don't know who it was. It was probably John. But anyway, but seriously, folks, how many of you guys is that farmer is about to get another ticket right there? You know what I'm saying? Okay. And what was the problem that was going on with this guy? He 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 said he respected the law, but what was the problem? His behavior was saying something else. And folks, I can't think of a better way to illustrate, unfortunately, what's happening to the American church. We say all the time, hey, we're Christians, right? We respect the law of God. But what are we doing? Half the times our behavior is saying something else. We're dis disrespecting the law of God. We say we believe in God, but half the times our lips and our lives are giving a different impression. How many tickets is God writing us, so to speak? Right? As we've been seeing, folks, it's now going on so long as producing a whole generation of churches acting like practical atheists. Okay? As we've been seeing, it's not just detrimental in our walk with God. It keeps people from believing in God because they're watching us. We're supposed to be those godly examples. So to avoid this irony of you and I as Christians living like these practical atheists by not knowing who God is, we're going to continue our study on the character of God. Now, we've already seen the first thing, hello, about God. We need to understand he is real. Okay? The second thing, the great news, why are we celebrating Christmas? Because this is the day that God put into effect his son, Jesus Christ, born to the world. Why? To start another religion. Yeah! No! A beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. God is intimate. He is personal. The third thing, hello, he is wise. He gets it always right. He never gets it wrong. Why would you go anywhere else for wisdom? The fourth thing, hello, he is sovereign. He is in control of all things. And for those who love him, do you love him? He works all things out together for good. Fantastic truth we saw there with that one. And then the last six times, who's counting, Bobby? I am. And you too, that's right. Uh, is, God is what? He is powerful, okay? He is big time powerful. And the last two times we began to explore the question, okay, Pastor Billy, I, I, I get it. I, I see how God's power, what it's like in the Bible. I, I, I even understand biblically what God's power can do for me and all the benefits. But my question is, why do I not experience it as a Christian? Okay, and there we saw, hey, let's just boil it down. Rubber meets the road. Here's the big thing. The reason why, as a Christian, we're not experiencing it like we used to is because we don't love God like we used to. And if you're not going to truly love God 
uh, of a supernatural power, don't fool yourself into thinking you're going to experience his supernatural power. It's just not going to happen, okay? Now, uh, what we've been seeing the last two times is four indicators that that's you, that you've literally lost your first love. Remember in the Greek there, the word that was used there? It literally means divorce. You literally, as a Christian, after all God's done, if you can believe this, Ephesus is our example, that you could literally wake up one day and say, oh, no, no, that's it. No, I'm not going to, I deliberately choose to shut the switch off. I am not going to love God like I used to. That's what it means. It's not like, oh, where to go? You made a deliberate choice. Now, how do you know that you're about ready to flip that unfortunate switch? Well, we've been taking a look at four indicators. We've seen, here's a sign. Stop kidding yourself. This is a sign you're losing your first love. You're about to make that horrible decision. I'm not going to love Jesus like I used to. When you no longer place your faith in God, when you no longer pray to God, and last week if you were here, we no longer read the word of God, and you're no longer obedient to God, as if it's sort of an, an option. And it's called backsliding, and you cannot backslide without suffering. But it's a sign. It's an indicator. You're losing your first love for Jesus Christ, okay? And so that's where we left off. And so here's the big finale. And, and, and hopefully, unfortunately, if that's you, but hopefully you're at this point, you're asking this question, okay, Pastor Billy, what do I do? What, what if that's me? What if I'm one of those people? What if I'm a Christian who has literally lost my first love for Jesus? He isn't coming first anymore. Is it too late for me? Is, is, is God going to write me a final ticket and I'm done? It's, it's over. No. And this, frankly, blows me away. Because, I mean, think about what God has done for us, right? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to celebrate this again next week. He loves us this much. His arms open wide. And then we say, no. I'm not going to love you like I used to. Now, if that was us, what would we typically do? We'd say, that's it. You're done. It's over. I, that's my last straw. How many guys realize that? How many guys realize that there's probably people still alive today because we're not God? <laughs> you would be sending lightning bolts over here, over there, whatever, right? Okay. Listen, but listen, this is our God. <sighs> Doing that after all he's done, and then you enjoy it, and then you sit there and say, no, I'm not going to love you like. You would think he'd, he, he, by all rights, he should nuke us on the spot. But what we're going about to see, he not only acknowledges the problem, believe it or not, he gives us the solution to getting it back. Can you believe that? The one in whom we've offended. Hey, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to his. Open your Bibles to Revelation 2. This is what blows me away about our loving, merciful Savior, man. Awesome. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Now, uh, when we started this section, we read 1 through 4, which uh, delineated and brought out the problem of losing your first love. Okay, Verse 5 is going to give us the solution. And again, who is this? This is Jesus speaking to the church, Okay, applicable to us today. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. If you find the dictionary, what do you do? Go left. That's right, Bobby. And uh, there it is. And uh, let's take a look. Verse uh, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 1. Here's what it says. To the angel or messenger of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him whose him context Jesus, who, what? who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands of the church. He says, I know your deeds. Of course, he's omnipresent. He's with us wherever we go. He's right here with us right now. He's with the individual Christian wherever we go. He knows everything. I know. Your deeds, good, bad, and ugly. And that's what he says. He said, I know your deeds. He says, I know your hard work and your perseverance. I know, church, that you cannot tolerate wicked men. 
he says, and that you cannot tolerate wicked men, and that you listen. You've even tested those who claim to be apostles, and, and, and that you, but they are not, and you have found them false. In fact, you have persevered. You've endured hardships for my name. You have not grown weary. What? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember, that's the Greek word that literally is translated elsewhere, divorce. You have divorced your first love. Oh, that's it. That's in the chapter. Close the book. You're toast. Here comes your ticket. You're done. Mercy all over this, man. In the very next verse from Jesus, here's what he says. He tells us how to get it back. What do you do, Christians? That's you. Number one, remember the height from which you have fallen. Number two, repent. Number three, and do the things you did at first. Now, there is a warning, though. Listen, if you do not repent, you don't take this serious, I'm going to come to you, Jesus said. I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. What's the lampstand in the context? That's the church. I'm going to take you out. Did you know that Jesus does not like it when you get not just individual Christians, but you get a whole gathering of Christians, which is what the word church means, ecclesia, a group of called out ones. It's not a building, it's us. But did you know he does not like it when a bunch of us Christians get together and we literally, we know the right stuff, we do the right stuff, we persevere, we don't put up with falsehood, we, we act, serve, what, but our hearts really don't love Jesus. Did you know he says, listen, I, you better turn around. You better turn around or I'm going to take you out. I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to take your church away. How many guys have said that's serious? But see, mixed in with this seriousness, though, because we got to deal with that, believe it or not, is some fantastic, awesome, great, merciful news, okay? According to our text here, Jesus not only reveals the problem of losing our first love, okay, but he reveals the solution to get it back. Isn't that mind-blowing? Blows me away. And let's, let's just take a look at those three steps. The first one he says there is you need to, first of all, if that's you, if that's the condition you're in, you need to remember your previous behavior, you need to remember your previous behavior. Well, how do I know that I'm really in that state of remembering? Well, it's when you move to this step. It's called confession. You need to own up to it, right? And this is what John says. This is good news, right? First John chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we'd what? If you just confess our sins, he, God, Jesus, he is faithful and just, and what? Not maybe, not might. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from how much? All unrighteousness. Is that not awesome or what? But this is what we see here. When, and, and here's the point of bringing this up. When we confess our sinful behavior, listen, Christian, we're acknowledging, we're admitting our current situation. Right? And in the context of losing your first love, we are, listen, we are acknowledging, confessing that we have sinned against God by not loving him like he deserves, Right? So if you're going to remember your previous behavior, you got to confess, right? You have to confess, okay? But if we're going to get around to that confessing, you got to remember what it was like. You have to, in other words, even get to the point where, hey, guess what? That's you. You got to put out the dichotomy there. Hey, this is now, and this is what it used to be. With all due respect, in case they ever watch this video, I got a great Christian friend of the Lord, one of my very first friends in the Lord. When I got saved, and he was doing great. He was somebody I looked up to. And he went through a hard time. And it's been probably 20 years now. Last I heard, because of that hard time, he decided no. But when we get together periodically, it's the same old thing. 
Remember those times? Remember when, when, you, when you first got saved? Remember all the things we did? Remember? But nothing ever changed. Stuck in the same state. It's like, well, take the first step. Remember, but, but okay, it, it's not just, oh, okay, yeah. I, 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 it used to be awesome, and right now it ain't awesome. And yeah, I, I'm straight. All right, what's, what's for supper? Confess. Confess. You got to take this first step. You got to confess. Okay? Of uh, the days when we, we used to passionately long to be with God, we, we love God. You got to confess. You got to get the. Remember your previous behavior. Confess it. Deal with it. Own up to it. It ain't like it used to be. God, please forgive me. That's the first step Jesus said. You're way out of this mess. Now, the problem is, instead of remembering how we used to love God, so we can confess our current problem of not loving God, here's what we do. We go into denial. Are you guys familiar with that, denial? You know, that's that big giant river that's next to Egypt? No, that's not denial, John. What are you talking about? You're already off base. Get, a, get back on track here. No, denial. We give into denial, right? And listen, listen. To this. And, and I hope this is not you. I hope this is not where you're at, okay? As soon as the word of God convicts us, right? And maybe that's where you're at. You're starting to feel the Holy Spirit. You're starting to go, ooh, ouch, Pastor Billy, ooh, I'm squirming, Right? <laughs> Come on, can we get on to something? I can't wait for that musical now. <laughs> You're squirming, that's good. Hey, but listen, instead of going, oh, that's me. God, thank you for being merciful, for showing me my sinful state. Oh, I can't believe, how could I do that? How could I stop loving you like you deserve? Oh, I confess. Instead of doing that, you know what we do? We deny we got a problem in the first place. You know, we're real subtle about it. I, I, I wish sometimes I get a camera going this way. Right, that you guys can see what I see, right? And it's, it's hilarious. So we, we, we assume, we deny, we, we assume the preacher, he, he's, talking about, uh, he's talking about our neighbor. So he's talking about with this study. <laughs> I'm glad they're here. No, no, no. He's talking about our spouse. That's what it is. Woo, I'm glad they showed up. The other guy in the pew. No, he's talking about, he's, he's, he said it how many times? That weird church down south. That's who he's talking about. It's not us. We deny we have a problem. In the first place. Oh, oh, and then, I don't know if you guys, because you can't see this as much as I do, but uh, it, it, then to make sure that everybody knows it's not us. Oh, 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 oh it's that other person. We, we, we do the evil eye, right? We, we do the, the elbow thing, right? Or the head nod. <laughs> like, what? what? All just, to, no, it's you. I always have a preacher, I sat down, and he says, listen, if the Spirit of God is convicting you, be obedient and be blessed. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. And if God's tugging at your heart, it's okay. Confess it and move on. He's trying to bless you. Why would you go into denial? And it's common sense. If we're ever going to face a problem, you've got to first admit you got one, right? Let me give you a couple of easy analogies. Um, This is common sense, I would hope. Uh, If you're going to teach somebody who needs to be taught, they first got to admit they need to be taught, right? Now, have you run into the opposite of that? It's called the know-it-all. Have you ever tried to teach somebody who already knows everything? It just doesn't work. Right? And the whole time you're going, no, you need to be taught this and that and that, whatever, but you can't, you won't let me in because you already know it all. Right? And the whole time, it's like, I could help you, but I can't. You have to first admit you need to be taught before you can be taught. Here's, let me give you another one. Uh, how about a doctor? A doctor cannot treat a patient unless they admit they need the doctor's care. Right? Oh, no, no, that's not. You know, hey, listen, I just took the x-ray, dude. It's right here. It's right here. You've been swallowing gum for seven years. It's this big now. Listen, you should have listened to the congregation. Oh, no. That's what gives me the spring in my step. <laughs> I'm in denial. Yeah, whatever. 
But how can I get it out of my gut unless I first admit, all right, that's me. I confess, right? You got me, right? Now, here's the point. In all seriousness, that's true in the physical realm, right? Teaching, medical care. You got to own up to it. Don't deny. Own up to it. Hey, folks, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm, okay? Don't give in to deny. If God's tugging at your heart, if he's saying, listen, praise God, I brought you here. This is why Pastor Billy's preaching on this. It's for you. Don't deny it. Just deal with it. Confess it. I'm here for you. I'm blessing you by telling you the way out of this mess. Now, number two, the problem is we make it even worse. If denying doesn't work, here's something I've also noticed. We still don't want to remember. Remember. No, and what we do is we resort to blaming, right? If you, if you can't do the denial thing, then you go to blaming. And, and we say stuff like this. Well, okay, yeah, okay, you got me. I can't deny it. I don't love Jesus like I used to. But see, you don't understand. You don't understand. You see, my health is not what it used to be, Right? And so I just, what do you expect, man? I just, I can't, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, listen, I, my, my job, my job requires so much of my time. I mean, how can you expect, I gotta put food on the tail. Listen, I, I, no, no, you don't understand. Listen, listen, oh, you don't know what I gotta deal with in my house. My spouse doesn't love you, God, like I do. <laughs> and so it's so hard, we're unequally yoked, and I just can't love. Hey, folks, when are we gonna learn that blaming other people for our problems not only gets us nowhere fast, by the time God brings it out, because he will, it gets really embarrassing. Like this lady. Listen to this. There's this woman. She was waiting for her flight at the airport. And so she uh, bought a book, and she bought a bag of cookies to pass the time. And she's waiting for a plane to board. And uh, so she's reading her book there, and she notices the man sitting next to her. And, uh, and uh, she's oh, you got the cookie bag there. And she notices that he takes a cookie from her bag. And he's sitting right there. Well, this, of course, made her furious, and she thought to herself, man, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd give this guy a black eye. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Listen, every time, listen, she took a cookie, the guy took a cookie. And this went on, and only, listen, one cookie was left, right? And now she wondered, well, what would this cookie thief do, right? Well, with a smile on his face and a nervous laugh, listen, he took the last cookie, he broke it in half, offered her half, and he ate the other half. Yeah, so she snatched a cookie from him, this rude man, she fumed about his behavior, and just then the flight was called, so without even looking at the thief, she got up and she boarded the plane, all right? But as she got into her seat, she reached into her bag to pull out her book, and gasping with surprise, she pulled out her bag of cookies. <laughs> and she said, if mine are here, she moaned in despair. The others were his, and he tried to share. <laughs> Too late to apologize, she realized with grief, she was the rude one, she was the cookie thief. Wow. How many guys had those kind of days when that happens, okay? And what was the problem? The lady was blaming all her problems on somebody else when the whole time, who was the problem? She was the problem, right? The whole time, okay? And folks, I'm telling you, it's the same thing with you and I spiritually. We can blame all of our problems on all kinds of people, all kinds of situations, all kinds of things. Listen, why we don't love God like we should, okay, you got me, I can't deny it, but I'm blaming on this, I'm blaming on this. But do you really think God, listen, who is standing right beside you right now? Because he is omnipresent. Do you think he's buying it? No. Folks, denying or blaming others for our spiritual condition isn't going to change a thing. Listen, all it does guarantee is that our condition will never change. Even though today, out of mercy and love, Jesus is showing us the way out. Wow. All because of denial. 
and blame. We have got to take this first step from Jesus. If that's us, man, just respond. Be blessed. Remember your previous behavior. It ain't like what it used to be. Confess it. Deal with it. Why? Because unless we do, our lives will never change. And stop kidding yourself. You will never get that first love back for Jesus. We need to do what he says to do. But that's just step one. Step two, he says, how do you get that first love back? Man, this is awesome. You need to repent of your current behavior. You need to repent. First remember, then repent. Let's go back to that text. That's a solution from Jesus. Here's what he says, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember the height from which you've fallen. No more denial, no more blame. That's me, I confess it. Step two, what's he say? Repent and do the things you did at first. Okay? So now we have step two from Jesus. It's not merely enough to just confess our sins. If you really want to get that first love back, you need to go to stage two. Listen, you need to repent. In other words, you need to turn away from your sins. It's the Greek word after mind, after mind. It means your mind was going this way. I don't love Jesus. I choose not to love Jesus. I refuse to love Jesus like I used to. That's how I was going. I repent after mind. Now my mind's going this way. Not 360 degrees, because that's a full circle. 180 degrees, you're going back this way. No, now I love Jesus. I choose to love him. I choose to put him first. That's repentance. Repentance is changing your mind, changing your direction right now. But here's our problem, right? It's not just confessing it. I now need to repent. I need to change my direction, okay? Here's the problem. If denying and blaming doesn't work uh, uh, to uh, uh, escape the issue... We simply resort to, here you go, making excuses. Isn't that what it is? We just make excuses, right? Why? Because, listen, our flesh hates this word repentance. Nobody likes this word repentance. When's the last time you hear that word in the church? It's just like hell. I call it the silent H word in the American church. Nobody talks about hell. They don't talk about God's wrath. They don't even know the Bible's replete with it. And again, hey, you know what? When you talk about hell, sure makes heaven a whole lot sweeter. (laughs) Makes you wonder why people don't appreciate heaven. And because you don't understand what you really deserve, myself included. But we need to repent. We, but we, we make excuses, and, and our flesh hates that. Nobody wants to hear that. I mean, repent, repent just come on, man. I, I'm coming here. I just want to have my cup of coffee. I want to stick my feet up on the back of the pew, make me feel good, build up my self-esteem, tell me how to be financially successful, and I'm out of here. What do we mean repentance? Repentance, I mean, come on. That involves change. That involves sacrifices. Aren't you glad that God stepped in and changed our destiny? Aren't you glad that he sacrificed his son? And if you're not appreciating it, you need to change. I need to change. We need to sacrifice. We need to get back on track. But we make excuses, okay? And and what makes it even harder is our society has literally made an art form out of excuse making. They really have. In fact, our society doesn't even want to call sin, sin anymore. Wipe your tongue off. You said sin, right? They don't. Okay, in fact, what they've done is they've changed the terminology for sin. So you don't need to repent in the first place. It's not your problem that you need to own up to and turn away from. No, 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 no. And what they, no, no, no. It's just a, that's not alcoholism. That's not a sin. That's a social disease. You know what I'm saying? It's just a social disease. What are you going to do? It's like, somebody spit the flu on you and you got sick and you can't help it. Well, yeah. No, it's a choice you make. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's not thievery. I mean, you just don't understand. It's, it's a social dysfunction due to my poor economic abilities. No, you're a thief and you rip people off. It's wrong. 
No, no, it's just a, it's a psychological aberration. No, it's called lewd, rotten behavior. It's just stepping out, fooling around. No, it's called adultery. Have you noticed it? They've changed the terminology for sin. Oh, oh, but that's even worse. And then, now that they've changed it, they moved into step two. Nobody's responsible. Now, first of all, don't call it sin. It's just some unfortunate thing that you just got to... Now it's gone to stage two, and now everybody's a victim. A victim of these poor diseases, socially, and aberrations, and psychological... Excuse me. In fact, now it's going so bad, people are now getting paid for their sins. Now, see, you may not believe me, so let me give you some proof. Watch what this new victim mentality... All this is just a mask to get people to not repent, right? Watch what people, they're, pay, they're cashing in on it. This is crazy. This is our world today. Case number one, all, every single one, true story. A man was shot and paralyzed while committing a burglary, right, in New York. He recovered damages from the store owner who shot him. He was protecting the store. Listen to this. Okay, his attorney told a jury that the man was, first of all, a victim of society, driven to crime by economic disadvantages. No, you're a thief. That's a choice you made. Now, the lawyer said he's a victim of, listen, the insensitivity of the man who shot him, who was protecting his store. And because of that man's callous disregard of the thief's plight as a victim, the poor criminal will be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Therefore, he deserves some compensation. Listen, believe it or not, the jury agreed, so the store owner paid a large settlement for the guy ripped him off. And several months later, the same man still in his wheelchair was arrested committing another armed robbery. But remember, he's a victim. He doesn't need to repent. It's not even sin. He's just a victim, right? Another one, case number two. After mugging and brutally beating an elderly New York man in the subway, Bernard McCummings was shot while fleeing the scene, okay? He's permanently paralyzed. He sued and won $4.8 million in compensation from the New York uh, Transit Authority. The man he mugged, a cancer patient, is still paying doctor bills. McCummings, the mugger, whom the courts deemed the greater victim, is now a multi-millionaire. And the other guy who mugged is still going in debt paying cancer. This is crazy. This is our world, folks. Case number three. In two separate cases in England, listen, a barmaid stabbed another woman to death in a barroom brawl, and a woman angrily drove her car into her lover. Both were acquitted of murder. Why? Well, they were a victim of, get this, after they claimed acute PMS hampered their thinking and caused them to act in ways they just could not control, right? Listen, murder! Both were flat-out murder. They both received therapy, then punishment for murder. you got to be kidding me. Case number four, San Francisco City. This is a classic case. This is where we get the word Twinkie defense. San Francisco City a supervisor uh, murdered a fellow supervisor, Mayor George Moscone, claimed it was because he had too much junk food, especially hostess Twinkies. <laughs> I'm not making this up. And his case was it made him act irrationally, right? Thus, the famous Twinkie defense was born. A lenient jury bought the line, produced a verdict of voluntary manslaughter rather than murder, and they ruled that junk food resulted in diminished mental capacity, which mitigated the killer's guilt. Listen, he was actually out of prison before the mayor's next term would have been complete. He killed him. But he's a victim of Twinkies. And as we all know, that's why they eventually closed up shop and went out of business. No, I don't know why that happened. What? I mean, eat a Twinkie and you're going to kill somebody. What? What does what, Isaiah say? Woe unto those who call evil good and good evil, light, dark, dark, light. What, what a twisted what? 
But this is what's going on, folks, okay? I don't care. Hey, listen, with all due respect, you can call it a Twinkie problem. You can call it a PMS problem. I don't care. And can I tell you something more important than that? God doesn't care. Sin is sin. You can call it what you will, and it still needs to be repented of, including the sin of not loving Jesus like he used to. You've got to not just remember, oh, yeah, you got me. I need to confess. I need to repent, and I need to go, whoa, I need to go this way now. No victimization, no excuses. There is no excuse. Own up to it. Be obedient and be blessed. But that's not all. We we just don't want to give in to this. And we wonder why. Why why do we stay in this state? How come I can't get that passion back? I, 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 I want it, but it's because we keep throwing out these things and not own up to it. And the next one is this one, rationalizing. Right? Rationalizing. If denying doesn't work, blaming doesn't work, excuses don't work, I'm just a victim. We rationalize. And here's what we do. We say, oh, well, hey, listen. Okay, yeah, you got me. You got me. Okay, listen, but you, you, look around. Look around. None of my friends love Jesus like we used to. Hello? You're acting like I'm the only one. Hey, li- hey listen. At least I show up on Sundays. Most Sundays. One out of four Sundays in a month. All right, listen. I'm going to come next week. For Christmas. Or maybe next Christmas when it doesn't fall on Sunday. <laughs> no, you don't understand. Listen, no one can love God all the time. I mean, didn't you get the guy that came around you when you first got saved? I got him. He came around and he says, hey, don't worry. <laughs> I used to be excited like you, but you'll cool down like the rest of us. We rationalize. <laughs> Listen to this. Here's the danger of that. Once you head down that road, pay attention. Listen, here's what we're doing. You're going to start labeling your behavior as a necessary evil. And once you call it a necessary evil, it starts to look more and more necessary and less and less evil. And you will actually be in a state where you have now rationalized your lack of love for God. Listen, something not to be repented of. It's just a necessary evil. Everybody's doing it. Wow. Listen. And do you think God, who is still right beside you right now, do you think he's buying that one either? No. And yet the whole time, the irony is while we're doing that, he says, here's how to get it back. And yet we resist it. We resist it. Is what is mind-blowing. But that resistance is what keeps us there. We need to get rid of our excuses. We need to stop rationalizing. We need to make a clean break. And that's what you do when you repent. You're going this way. Clean break. Woo! This way. We got to do whatever it takes to say, I'm never going back there again. Like Julius Caesar. Listen to this. This is a cool military move. Uh, When Julius Caesar, he landed on the shores of England with his well-armed legions. He simultaneously, though, he made a bold and decisive move to guarantee the success of his campaign. He marched his men to the edge of the cliffs of Dover, and he ordered them to look down, listen, at the ships that had just brought them across the channel. Every single one of them was ablaze, going up in smoke on fire. General Caesar, listen, had cut off the possibility of any kind of a retreat or a pullback. No option now. And now that his soldiers were unable to return to the continent, there was nothing left for them to do but to advance and conquer, and that's exactly what they did. Christian, we need to do the same thing. Ask yourself this question. 
If it's been a long time since you advanced in your walk with Jesus Christ, maybe it's because you've been retreating by rationalizing. If it's been years since you've walked in victory with Jesus, maybe, listen, it's time to burn your boatload of excuses. We've got to take this second step. We've got to repent. We've got to repent. Why? Because unless we do, our lives will never change. And even though even this day, God is reaching out to you in mercy, here it is. Here's all you got to do to get it back. I can't believe you did that anyway. But I'm going to be merciful to you and show you how to get back. If we don't repent... It'll never change. It'll never change. You'll come back again. You'll do it next week. And the next week. And the next week. And one day he's going to come get us, Christian. Whether it's the rapture or we die. What kind of spiritual state do you want to be in? Because you will be in a spiritual state, so will I. And if you're not in a good state right now, listen to what he says. Be obedient and be blessed. The third and final one, here's what he says. He says, we need to redo the right behavior. We need to redo the right behavior. Let's take a look at that passage again in this context. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, step one, the height from which you have fallen, right? Confess it, own up to it. Number two, what do you do? You need to repent. You need to acknowledge it. Hey, I was going this way, and now I'm going that way. And then you just go right back to it. No, what's he say? And do the things you did at first, right? You know, like when you used to love them, right? That was all natural, Get back to that. Get back on track. And, but listen, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So there's the danger if you want to, again, uh, take this not seriously. But Jesus said the first test of true repentance, listen, is not in what you say about your sin. He's telling us the test of true repentance. Because you go, oh, oh, I made it. I, I'm at step one, Pastor Billy. I'm confessing this. This is me. I'm not, uh, I'm not denying it. I'm not blaming it. No, no, no. I, uh, Pastor Billy, I, I, I'm repenting of this, man, today. No more excuses. I'm not rationalizing. I'm going, I'm, I, and I'm, I'm going this way, okay? The test of whether or not that was a genuine repentant act is not what you say. He said it's what you do. That's the test of true repentance. Repentance, biblically, is not just being sorry for your sins. It's being, listen, sorry enough for your sins to stop them right now. In fact, he says, if you don't do something about it right now, you're in danger. It could get a whole lot worse. But again, here's our problem. Even here, our flesh, the old man, still doesn't want to go all the way. And we miss the blessing. Here's what we do. If denying doesn't work, if blaming doesn't work, and excuses don't work, and rationalizing doesn't work, listen, we just move to this one. Procrastination. Dun, 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 dun. It's time to procrastinate. No, it's not. Please don't. But here's what we do. We're right here, man. We're right there. Woo-hoo. We made it. We made it. Step three. We're almost there. Victory. Woo! Uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Woo! You got me, Pastor Billy. I tell you what, the Word of God convicted me so hard. I t- man, first thing Monday. I mean Sunday, right? First thing Monday. I'm gonna change, man. I'm gonna do. I'm, No, no, hey, wait a second, wait a second. This is the middle of December. This is brilliant, this is it. New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, you got it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is what perfect timing. Hey, it could have been been in the middle of summer I got convicted. I'd have to wait six whole months. But no, it's only two weeks. I can, two, uh, New Year's resolution, man. I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna get it right. I'm gonna, 
Okay, now listen. Pastor Bill, I mean, hey, first thing I do when I retire, you know what I'm saying? When I retire, man, I'm going to get right with God. Man, I'm going to serve him. I'm going to love him. And, you know, because they don't have all the money to do all the things I want to do, and which typically means you ain't serving God then either. If we ever want to experience personal revival, it requires immediate action, not good intentions. One guy puts it this way. He said, the American church's integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It's a change in belief without a change in behavior. It's revival without reformation. It's revival without repentance, which another means it's not really repentance at all then, is it? Jesus said the test of true repentance is not what you say. It's about what you do. Listen, do right now. Not tomorrow, not New Year's, not when you retire, whatever it is. Now. Get right with him. And I got to think about this. Maybe this is the problem with our world. Have you thought about this? Maybe the problem isn't with the world. Why are we going down the tubes morally? Why is our country in such danger? Maybe, maybe the problem isn't with the unsaved rebel. Maybe it's the saved rebel. You see, because darkness is only doing what darkness does. If you want to defeat darkness, simple. Be the light. And so the only reason why darkness is prevailing is because the light is not being the light. We're not repenting. We're not living holy lives for Christ. We've actually got to the point where we are rationalizing our lack of love for Jesus and shining in this dark world. Well, everybody's doing it. Or I'll do it later. Monday, New Year's Day, when I retire, I'll tell you what. And we wonder why it keeps getting darker and darker and darker. We have got to take this third and final step. We've got to redo our previous behavior right now. And if we don't, nothing is ever going to change. And you might even be at this point. And you might even be like, a, you, you just try to, you know, uh, just say, hey, listen, okay, okay, you got me, Pastor, but that, that's me. But you know what? Listen, that, that's between me and God. Right? That, that's between me and God. Listen it, listen, it just affects me. Okay, yeah, yeah, so just, just back off. It just, it just affects me, man. You're making a big deal. Out. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Christians, we don't live in isolation. We might try, but the world is watching our every step. Our family is watching our every step. Our kids are watching. Our grandkids, people are watching us. And we're professing to be a Christian. And this behavior not only affects us, it affects, listen, multiple generations. Like this one. Watch this. Here's your two options. America's greatest theologian is a guy named Jonathan Edwards. He and his wife, Sarah, listen, they had 11 kids. Hey, he had a big yard to mow. He had to get some help going. No, I don't know. But he had 11 kids, right? Okay? And despite a rigorous work schedule that included rising up as early as 4.30 in the morning to read and write in his library, extensive travels, endless administrative meetings, he always made time for his children. In fact, he committed to spending at least one hour a day with them, all 11. And if he missed a day because he was traveling, he was diligent to make up the hour when he returned. Very, very devoted. Now, one scholar, true story, decided to chart the 1,394 known descendants of Jonathan Edwards. And what he found out was an incredible testament to the life of Jonathan Edwards. Of his known descendants, there were 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, uh, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 Army and Navy officers, 100 pastors, 60 authors of uh, prominence, 
three United States senators, 80 public servants, including governors, ministers to foreign countries, and one vice president of the United States, all from this one guy. And the story of Jonathan Edwards is an example of what sociologists call, listen, the five-generation rule. But the five-generation rule works both ways. Consider this guy. His name is Max Jukes. Okay? He was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards, lived at the same time. But as an adult, Jukes had a drinking problem. Remember? Hey, you don't need to confess. Don't need to, don't need to repent. Don't need to turn around. He's a victim. Right? He had a drinking problem that kept him from holding a steady job. It also kept him from showing much concern for his wife and kids. And he would disappear for some days uh, and many days at a time and return drunk. And he made little time for loving and instructing his children. Now listen, of Jukes' known descendants, 310 of them died in absolute total poverty. At least 150 of them were criminals, including seven were murderers. And more than 100 were drunkards. Listen, half of all his female descendants were prostitutes. The stories of Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes offers a powerful lesson, listen, about the legacy we will leave. Five generations from now, it is likely that our professional accomplishments will be totally forgotten. In fact, our descendants may know little about us or anything about us. But the way we live today directly affects not only our children, but our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and generations that follow. Can I surmise this? Your lack of loving Jesus right now, Christian, yes, it affects other people. So don't give into that lie either for generations to come. Did you know it's not that we will be leaving a legacy? Did you know that we are leaving a legacy Did you know it's not that we're leaving a legacy tomorrow? You're leaving a legacy right now. The question is, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? The legacy you will leave for the future will always hinge on what you do with Jesus Christ now. Don't give in to procrastination. Come out of the pig pen of life. Come back to the Father today. And this is what's so awesome. He's gracious, man. You know the story of the prodigal son. Because in essence, that's what we're doing. No. And we went off our own little way. I'm not going to love Jesus anymore. And today, if you're recognizing, man, what have I been doing eating pig slop? What happened to the prodigal son? What's the Bible say? He came to his senses. What am I doing eating pig slop? I remember it used to be better back at dad's house. I confess this. Is it starting to sound familiar? Yeah, it's like what Jesus said. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to repent. I'm going back to the father's house. I ain't going back to that pig pen. Woo-hoo, right? And the father, when he got there, he says, get out of here. You better. Are you kidding me, man? He, he, first of all, the father saw him from afar, which means he was waiting for him. Just like Jesus in this text, he's given us a solution. Are you ready yet? Would you come back to me? Would you love me again? Oh, to even say that, isn't that wild? And he came and he put a robe on him and a ring on his finger and all that stuff. And then the best part, at least for me, Get out there and you kill that fatted calf. Not the fatted chicken. That would be foul. It's the fatted calves. Hey, when God parties, he uses beef. You know, I didn't say this, I'm just quoting Bible. But come back to him. It's the same thing. If you've been the prodigal son or daughter, come back to him. He loves you. Remember, repent, redo, get back on track, do it right now. Don't procrastinate. Come back. And listen, what's cool? With all due respect to my friend, you won't have to reflect on years gone by 
Remember the days when God did awesome things? Remember the days when he used to use me to lead people to Christ? Remember the days when I saw all those miracles? Remember the days when it was exciting? Woo! But it's been a long time. Did you know you can get back to that? Did you know God wants to use you again, just like that again? You know he's not going to list you and put you on the shelf. Oh, yeah, you haven't been back to me in three years. I'm going to wait. He doesn't do that. You remember, you repent, you redo, get back on track right now. Listen, he still wants to use all of us to do great things. I didn't say he did. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We're saved by grace through faith, right? Not of works, lest any of us should boast. Read verse 10. Why? Why, why, did, I, why did God save us? To do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. He's got awesome things for every single one of his kids to do. And guess what? You can get back to that. You don't have to rely on memories. Oh, it used to be. Remember that time when in just the time and the remembering. The... Don't you want to get back to that now? You can have it. And then they start telling some really cool stories. Like this Christian that God's using because this Christian loves Jesus. Watch this. I want to ask you about one part of the book. When you talk about on your eye black, when you wrote 316 yeah. in the Bible, can you tell the people about the uncanny coincidence that happened in a press conference a few years later? Yeah, well, we were playing for the national championship um, in college on January 8th, 2009, and I decided to wear John 3.16 under my eyes, and during the game, uh, 94 million people Googled John 3.16, and it was a pretty cool moment. Well, exactly three years later, we happened to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round of the playoffs when I was with the Denver Broncos, and I didn't even know that it was exactly three years later. It was ja uh, January 12th or January 8, 2012, exactly three years later to the day. I just went out there and tried to do whatever I could to win a playoff game. And afterwards, I'm going into the press conference because I love talking to the media. <laughs> and uh, our PR guy jumps in front of me, says, Timmy, did you realize what happened? I was like, yeah, we just beat the Steelers. We're going to play the Patriots. He was like, no, did you realize what happened? I was like, all right, Patrick, what's up? He said, it's exactly three years later from the day that you wore John 316 under your eyes. I was like, oh, that's really cool. He said, no, I don't think you realize what happened. During the game, you threw for 316 yards. Your yards per rush were 3.16. Your yards per completion were 31.6. The ratings for the game were 31.6. And the time of possession was 31.6. And during the game, 90 million people had already Googled John 3.16. It was the number one trending thing on Facebook and Twitter. And a lot of people will say, it's coincidence. I say, big God. Wow. Tim Tebow. God used and still uses him to do some pretty amazing things. No way that's a quinky dink. But God used him so that 90 million people can learn about his love for them, John 3.16. It really happened. Why? Because if you know anything about Tim Tebow, he loves God. And he is determined to serve Jesus Christ and make him known. Listen, if you know anything about the flip side, it ain't easy. How much he's been picked on. How much he's been told that he needs to compromise. No matter what people say, no matter what they do, no matter how much they make fun of him. No excuses, no blaming, no rationalizing. No. Jesus first. And what happens? God uses that Christian who simply loves him and maintains that first love. He does amazing things. Can I tell you the good news? Ephesians 2.10. That could be true of every single one of us if we would just fall back in love with Jesus again. And if you're not there, out of mercy, just do what he says right now. Remember, repent.
get back to doing what you did at first. And let's get back to being those kind of Christians and that kind of church. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. 
God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for 
uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.